Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. We are live in Spain. I am so excited that we finally made it to Spain, visiting Madrid, and then on the ultimate road trip, traveling from the north or the middle of the country of Madrid all the way to the south, and then even continuing to Morocco. So this week, we're going to tell you about our Spain experience. We'll also have some of our guides that have been with us to tell us about some of those things that we've been doing as well, the cities that we've visited, Madrid, Toledo, Granada, Cordoba, going to Sevilla, and Cadiz. So buckle up and hop on board and join us for our experience and travel through Spain. We're in Spain for nine nights. We started off in Madrid for three nights and then continued on to Granada for two nights, Sevilla for two nights, and Cadiz for one night. But we also stopped in some other places along the way. For example, we first stopped in Toledo from Madrid to Granada. And then between Granada and Sevilla, we stopped in Cordoba. And between Sevilla and Cadiz, we stopped in Jerez. So we're going to tell you all about it today. And we're actually going to have a part two because there are a few people that I wanted to chat with that I just wasn't able to make happen at this particular time. And there's so much more I want to tell you about Spain and so many things that you probably don't really know. We're really going to dig deep into Spain, the Spanish culture, and also the Black history of Spain. You may have heard of the Moors, or maybe not, but we'll tell you a little bit more about that. We'll also tell you about the mix of Muslims and Christians and Jewish, and also the Iberian Peninsula, which you may remember from grade school when you talk about history that we don't really talk about now, but the Iberian Peninsula consisted of Spain, Portugal, and Northern Africa, specifically Morocco, before these countries became independent countries. And so we're going to talk about some of that today, and then we're going to get more in depth in a part two discussion of Madrid and Granada and Cordoba, Sevilla, and all of these places, specifically with Spain, and the rule of the Moors, and then also Spain's connection to the transatlantic slave trade in and out of Spain. Yeah, there are very few sites, but there are sites that are still in southern Spain that are specifically related to the transatlantic slave trade that only a few and special guides really know about. Now, we finished in Cadiz because we were then continuing on to Morocco and we'll have some information on to you on Morocco in another show because that's a whole new destination and a whole lot more to talk about. But we're going to talk about the connection of Morocco and Spain and the Moors and then our time here and the various things that we'll be doing and seeing in Morocco as well. Again, that's going to be another show. But basically what we had is an ultimate road trip traveling from Madrid to all of the places that I mentioned. So we were on the road the entire time from Madrid to Toledo. Of course, we broke it up. So it wasn't like one long road trip, 
but between the cities and staying overnight, which is a great way to see a destination. And specifically Spain, because we got to stop at these wonderful places along the way. And these cities, rather than hopping on and off trains, and uh, this was just so much more logistically favorable to what we were doing. But again, road trip from Madrid to Toledo, and then continuing on to Granada, and then continuing on to Cordoba, Sevilla, Jerez, and Cadiz. And yes, we had so much fun on the bus. I just can't tell you how much fun that we've had playing a few card games, things like name the song or name the lyric, and of course, getting the history and the knowledge about the places that we were going and the things that we were seeing along the way. So let's talk about some of the things that we did in each of the places. But later on in the show, I have interviews with some of our tour guides on the different places that we visited so that you can hear it straight from them. And on our part two, we're going to talk more specifically about the guides who knew about the Black history that they shared with us with the transatlantic slave trade as well as what happened in Spain and then out of Spain. And then, of course, the rule of the Moors. And we're going to hear from some of our travelers as well. But in Madrid, I have to tell you one of the most fun things that we did. And in very traveling culturati style, you know, we love gastronomy. So we had a cooking class in Madrid. That was a ball of fun. And I know that everyone said that that was one of the highlights of the trip for them. So what was on the menu? Paella. We got a chance to come together and prepare paella. Everybody chipped in, which was really great because it was the guys, the ladies. We took part in different elements of the dish as far as who was chopping the vegetables, who was cooking the rice, who was stirring, who was serving and so forth. We had a great time. So one of the other dishes that we cooked, which is very traditional Spain or Spanish, was the Spanish omelet, also known as the tortilla. And we were all a little surprised because they said tortilla. But when we got there, it was the Spanish omelet, which is very different here. When at home, I'm thinking of the Spanish omelet with a bunch of vegetables and so forth. But here, it's a very simple dish with just eggs, I believe a little cream if I can remember, but also potato and onion. And it's all about the flip. (laughs) And a couple of us did the flip and we did it successfully. And they're different preparedness or doneness, if you will, on the Spanish omelet. So you let it set a little bit, but they like it a little runny inside. So it's really based on your preference. I like mine a little bit more firm, but there were some people that like their, just like people like their eggs a little runny or over easy. Um, Not necessarily over easy in this case, because we do cook the omelet on both sides, but it's not the traditional omelet that we know where you stuff it and then flip it over in half. In this case, we pour all of the ingredients into a skillet. And then once it sets and cooks halfway through, then we turn it over onto a plate and then slide it back into the pan and let it cook the rest of the way. Then we take it out and we let it set. Delicious. Now let's talk about the paella because a lot of times we think about paella as something that is a seafood dish. Now, while a lot of places in Spain and around the world, 
will cook paella with seafood, primarily shrimp, sometimes clams. It is really a Valencian dish coming from Valencia or Valencia, as is pronounced in Spain. And the traditional version of paella does not include shrimp. It is rabbit, and you may have some other meats like sausage and so forth. But based on the region in Spain, you may find other ingredients. And so what we did for the class, because we had some folks who were either allergic to seafood or didn't eat any meat, then we had a vegetarian and we had the seafood, and it also had chicken in it as well. And we had two kitchens going. So of course, there was some competition. And I have to tell you that the kitchen that I was in, I thought was the best, at least the mixed paella. The vegetarian paella, in my opinion, could have used a little bit more flavor, but we had a ton of fun doing it. And afterwards, the chefs kicked us out of the kitchen and they prepared for us so many different tapas that that were being passed around constantly. We had such a ball. We ate far too much, <laughs> drank a lot as well. We had some Spanish wines and we also had some Spanish beer. There was a particular one from Madrid that they served us, which was Mayon de Madrid, which was a really good beer. So we had a lot of fun doing that. Then, you know, going to Toledo, there is a lot of history there. But one of the things that most notably when you're visiting Toledo is the walking. And going through the gate, it's almost like a city within a city or a place kind of of its own. And we truly enjoyed it. But boy, did we walk. That was our very first introduction to a lot of walking. And it was usually at an incline. But later on in the show, I do have Elena who is going to be on with me. She was our national tour guide who stayed with us the whole time. She's going to tell us a little bit more about the history of Toledo and the significance of it. It's a wonderful town, and we did some great shopping there, too. One of the things that the town is known for is its gold and blacksmith, and they do work with gold thread, and they also work with black gold. And one of the most beautiful things to buy are these either plates or jewelry where the black gold is in the background and then the gold thread is etched in in these elaborate patterns. And as far as some of the jewelry goes, you can get some of these elaborate patterns or you can get your initials or something like that. So we had a great time in Toledo before continuing on to Granada. And again, it's most famous for the Alhambra. And I do have Esther on with me a little bit later today, who's going to tell us about the Alhambra. And this is when the Moors ruled. And this place is phenomenal. And the gardens there, oh my goodness. And there's trees of every fruit you can think of, pomegranate, lemon, orange, so many beautiful spots. And then the construction of the Alhambra, it is massive. And again, a lot of walking because it is a massive landscape. And boy, does it have landscape, the trees that surround it. You want to give yourself at least two to 
to three hours to walk around. And I really recommend that you get a guide and do a guided tour so that you know what you're seeing. You know the history behind it. And they can really guide you through it and take you to the most significant places and then tell you about the things that you're seeing and doing. And yeah, there may be some self-guided things that you can do, but it's really nice to have a guide, especially one who is very passionate about what they're doing. And again, the Moors built the Alhambra. And so again, with the Moors ruling Spain or the Iberian Peninsula for nearly 800 years, it's certainly a history that you want to know about. In Sevilla, which is known for flamenco. And that's another fun thing that we did. We learned flamenco. We took a flamenco class and it's very staccato. And of course, the body movements tell the story, but it looks very simple from afar, but certainly trying it and staying on this staccato or this beat and the footwork. It's all about the footwork. And then of course, the flourish with the arms. It was so much fun. After the flamenco class, they treated us to a very refreshing sangria, which we really needed after working up a sweat and trying to learn flamenco. And then of course, a flamenco show, which was nice. Then once you understand the makeup of the flamenco, Flamenco dance, and then you see people perform it along with the music and the singing was wonderful to be able to experience. So glad we got an opportunity to do that. And it's nice to learn about something and then to later see it in action. When I come back, we'll continue our conversation about Spain. That's right, we're live in Spain, and we're going to tell you all about it. So stay tuned for some more information and wonderful adventure. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com. And while you're there, join us on social media and join that travel club. We've got some wonderful trips coming up for you, and we hope that you will join us. All you have to do is head over to TravelingCulturati.com. You can also head over to Advantage-INTL.com. We have Ghana coming up February 5th through the 13th. Going to be a fantastic experience. If you want to have a naming ceremony, visit the Door of No Return and a whole lot more going with the Michael Baston Travel Club to Ghana, February 5 through 13. Also going to South Africa at the end of March of 2023. Unfortunately, that trip is sold out, but stay tuned for our September trip of 2023. We have a whole lot more that we're working on for you, so make sure you stay tuned for that. We'll be going to Croatia, a privately chartered cruise that we did in 2021. We're going to do again in 2023, and it's going to be an awesome experience. Make sure you sign up for the newsletter so that you'll be the first to know when we're on the go. We're also putting the final touches on France. That'll be the 
end of May. And for you tennis fans, it'll be just before the French Open. So you may want to stay a little bit longer and buy a ticket to the French Open. Again, you want to make sure that you sign up for our newsletter so that you'll be the first to know when we're on the go and you can join Traveling Culturati in so many of these wonderful places. Visit the website TravelingCulturati.com or Advantage dash intl.com and don't forget to sign up for the newsletter and now javon's travel minute when you're visiting madrid when you're visiting spain and you're visiting some of the small medieval towns and certainly going south like we've done to granada cordoba sevilla and Cadiz, put on your walking shoes and your best pair of legs because you will walk. It's very difficult for large motor vehicles like buses to enter the cities or to drive you around when you're touring. The best way to see these cities is by walking. And there are cobblestones and there are hills and peaks and valleys. We were climbing a lot of the time. So visiting Spain so that you get your best experience. You want to make sure you have great walking shoes and that you're physically fit and prepared to take the walk. Some of our travelers did some conditioning before they came to Spain, like going out for a walk every day for at least an hour at a very good pace and including some of those hills to climb. Not major hiking, but some hills to climb, and it'll get your heart rate up, and it'll get your legs and your body ready for your walking tours of Spain. This is Javon, and that was your Travel Minute. One of my favorite things to do is to take you on tour with me so that you can hear the things that we've been doing. And hopefully we paint such a picture for you that you'll want to come to the destination. As I've been talking to you about, that we are going to Spain, visiting Madrid, the town of Toledo, and then traveling south to Andalusia. And we started off our trip in Madrid, and we were met by a lovely guide, Elena Garnacho, and she'll tell you a little bit more about that. But hello, Elena, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hello, Javon. Thank you very much. And I would love to introduce my city to you and some of the things we have visited. So I hope you will come all visiting us. Now, I think a lot of people know cities like Madrid, or they think they know a lot about a major city that you hear about all the time. But let's talk a little bit about Madrid's history so that we really get to know the city. It's true that Madrid is a big city that everybody knows because, uh, above all, probably about the museums. It's a city of museums, the Prado, the Thyssen, the Reina Sofia with the Guernica by Picasso. So, But everybody knows, and that's in all the guides. It's been recently uh, declared a um, heritage uh, site, one of the areas of the parks, including the museums. But Madrid, of course, is more than that. Madrid is a place with history, with the tradition. It was the first capital founded by the uh, Muslims. Actually, it was founded to defend the city of Toledo that was much more important back in the 10th century. So just a 
few people knows that. It's only when we tell them, everybody's surprised. The Moorish name of Madrid was Majerit Mayerit, meaning abundance of water. Uh, Madrid is on top of several hills. It's a hilly place, so be prepared to walk. <laughs> and We've been walking quite a bit. And talking about surprises, I just learned today, not today, but on this trip, I learned that Spain was not Spain, but a part of the peninsula. And what countries today make up what was the peninsula then? Well, Spain was divided into several kingdoms, but if we talk about the countries that nowadays compose the Iberian Peninsula, what we understand nowadays to be the Iberian Peninsula is Portugal, is the northern principality of Andorra, and, and Spain. Uh, but Spain itself, along with Portugal, was divided into different kingdoms. So not until the early 1500s, Spain was called Spain. It was called Castilla, it was called Aragon, it was called Navarre, and then the kingdom of Granada. Uh, that, by the way, was the uh, last kingdom to be uh, reconquered uh, by Isabella San Fernando. When did Madrid become the capital? Mm. Madrid did not become the capital until the year 1561, which is also interesting because if we uh, look towards Europe, uh, Paris, London were capitals already since the very beginning. But Madrid was not the capital of Spain until the year 1561. And the reason for this was precisely what I was telling you. Not until 1492, with the surrounding of the city of Granada, Isabella San Fernando started what we call the modern history of Spain, but it was not until the first Habsburg, the Habsburg dynasty that entered in the 1500s, when Spain was called Spain, so they needed a place where to settle down. And since the former so-called capitals like Toledo. Toledo was the former capital during the Visigoth period, for instance, and then again with the Muslims. But Toledo is a little city surrounded by a river and the walls. So King Felipe II was the one who decided to move the capital into Madrid and settle down. There was plenty of room to grow and to create what he wanted to have, a new modern city. Now, geographically, where is Madrid in Spain? Well, this is a question that it's also interesting to understand because usually when we've been talking about this in the group, because usually capital cities are close by to the sea as much as possible, no? to have a runaway place, an escape way. But Madrid is right in the center. I mean, the geographical center of Spain is in between Toledo and Madrid, both in the city center, both crossroads to go everywhere. Mm -hmm. huh? But it's interesting that it's not nearby the sea. Actually, our nearest sea is the Mediterranean Valencia, and it's about four hours by car away. So if someone is coming to Madrid, top three things they must see and or do? I would say, of course, the museums and the parks. Madrid is the greenest capital in Europe for the number of parks that used to be private royal hunting areas. 
No? So that was good because later they were just open as public parks. Of course, the life huh? is a city where you have to experience the life of the people just by walking through the streets. The Madrillians are said to be very open people. We welcome everybody, so it's very easy to go to any of those little terraces and people will start talking to you so you can experience those things. The tapas idea. I will also suggest some of the places which are nearby the city. For instance, the monastery of El Escorial, which is considered one of the wonders. Hmm? is the burial place of the Spanish kings and the monastery is the palace is a huge complex that thousands of people comes to see. Now you said that before Madrid was the capital, the capital was Toledo and we were there. We visited Toledo, one of my favorite towns. It is a beautiful, beautiful place. So tell us about Toledo. I know you told us a little bit, but why it was the capital then and spending a day in Toledo. Well, Toledo has is a little town of about 80,000 inhabitants, so it's not that big. But Toledo is, just to make a little summary, the city of the three cultures. The city of the three cultures, the Muslims, the Jews and the Christians living together more or less in peace uh, with some uh, moments of, I would say, I, I like to use, when I do my tours, I like to use the word coexistence, uh, more than convivence that we all know, even if we put it back in the context that maybe was not the key word. But coexistence, I think, is a good word to tell what Toledo was for, and during a certain period, for many people. So Toledo was founded by the Romans, Iberian tribes were there already, Romans, and then it became for three centuries, the capital of the Visigoth Hispanic Empire, which is already a big, uh, important reference for how uh, that city was built and the urban and the different streets and so. What can you see in Toledo? You can immerse yourself in the old Jewish district where you can visit some of the former synagogues. One of those is nowadays the Sephardic Museum, which is very interesting to understand. First of all, who were these Sephardic? Uh, not a lot of people knows that Sephardic comes from El Sfaradin Sephardat, which was the word for Spain, uh, that the Jews who had to left the country gave to Spain. It was one of the most important Muslim cities. It was the key to go to the north and the south. And of course, in that period, it was protecting all the central part of Spain. And then when in that year 1085 was reconquered by King Alfonso, the conqueror of Castile, it was again one of the most important cities in that uh, during all those medieval times, the cathedral of Toledo is that we couldn't visit it because it was Sunday on Sunday, it's, a, it's an active church and there are masses going on. But the cathedral in Toledo is not only an artistical jewel, but it's also, again, the summary of the three cultures because the Muslims worked inside, 
and the Jews and the Christians. And it's the primate cathedral of Spain. It means that it's the head of the Spanish churches. Well, certainly when you come to Spain, you're going to visit a lot of cathedrals and each one that you see seems to get more and more grand (laughs) along the way. But one thing you should really know about Toledo is you're going to walk (laughs) (laughs) from the entrance to inside and it is hilly. So you're climbing a lot of the time. Cobblestones, remember. And cobblestones, exactly. Kind of getting a foot massage or not, if you will, but definitely put on your walking shoes. Plan to spend the whole day there. Also some excellent gold and blacksmith, which the town is also known for. It's a beautiful town just outside of Madrid. And you can spend the day there and then go back to Madrid. Granada is a very important historic city for different reasons. Granada is the city with the most uh, Muslim history in Spain, but Granada also has a very important Christian history from the 1492. And of course, in Granada, the Alhambra is the main attraction. So the Alhambra, everybody can here to visit the Alhambra, and the Alhambra is the most uh, visited monument in Spain because in average 8,000 people visit the Alhambra every day and 3 million every year. So the Alhambra is one of the most important architectural structures of the Middle Ages. And the finest example of Islamic art left to us in the Western world. But Granada, as I told you before, is a very important historic city. So my recommendation is to stay in Granada at least three nights to enjoy the Alhambra. Also to see Granada, the city, the cathedral, the cathedral is a masterpiece of the Catholic monarchs. And um, also the royal chapel, the Queen Isabella of Castile wanted to be a buried here in Granada so you have to visit also the Royal Chapel because after the Alhambra is the most visited monument in the city and of course my recommendation is walking throughout the Albaicín quarter the oldest quarter in Granada the oldest Modish settlement in Granada also the best views and the sunset is amazing from that quarter, the Albaicín quarter. And of course, if you like flamenco, why not the Zambra? The flamenco show by the gypsies inside the caves. There is a very famous quarter in Granada, the name is Sacromonte, where you can enjoy the Zambra in Granada. The flamenco show by the gypsies' families inside the caves. Absolutely beautiful. And of course, don't forget to enjoy the traditional food in Granada and the beer. Alhambra beer, of course, in everywhere. So one question. We say flamenco, but you said it's called uh, Sambra here. Sambra. Sambra. So what is the difference in the name? There is no stage. This is a cave. And you can see the gypsies dancing inside the caves. Okay, so that is the difference. Okay, you are sitting in the well inside the caves around the gypsies. And it is said that the mix of these different cultures and music between Jewish, the gypsies, and the Modish resulted in the birth of the flamenco music. So you can see flamenco in everywhere, of course. But in Granada we say zambra, the zambra. Well, we will have a flamenco class, I believe, tomorrow. So I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that, and we'll see how well we do. <laughs> but we're currently standing in what square now? Well, this is the Plaza Birrambla, so we are in the very, very uh, city center, so the commercial and the historic area in Granada. So you can walk from everywhere here in Granada, so because Granada is a very comfortable city, and Granada is smaller 
than Córdoba, Sevilla, Granada has around 240,000 inhabitants. And of course, in Granada, tourism is the main industry, as well as we have an important university with over 60,000 students in Granada. And this is one of the quarter more important in Granada to see, to enjoy, to walk, to visit everything in this city. Now, what was the name of the cathedral that we visited? This is the cathedral in Granada dedicated to the incarnation of the Virgin Mary, so the Annunciation, and that you can see at the entrance, Ave Maria. Okay, that is the name of the cathedral, Catedral de Granada in Spanish. So, very, very simple. And then part of it, because it is massive, <laughs> but part of it we went into, was it called the Royal? Royal Chapel. In Spanish, Capilla Real, because the Queen Isabella of Castile wanted to be buried here in Granada. But if her husband decided to be buried elsewhere, she would have to go with him. So they requested the Royal Chapel in Granada. But the Royal Chapel was built before the cathedral, later the cathedral in Granada. But the cathedral is the first uh, Renaissance cathedral built in Spain, and it is a masterpiece of the Catholic monarchs. That is one of the biggest after Rome, London, Sevilla, and inside is characterized with its uh, grandiosity and the whiteness. So many architects helped in the construction of the cathedral over 181 years. And the Royal Chapel is smaller, but you know, it is a very important historic chapel in Granada, the Royal Chapel. Wow. And, and everything is really beautiful. And we've had some great weather here. But you mentioned food. We have to have the beer. But if you can tell us the t number one thing we have to eat while we're here in Granada and the number one thing we have to buy. Well, well, I know that in Granada, you know, tapas are very famous. You know, the appetizer that you get when you order a drink. So any drinking, and they are very big, and also they are free. And with tier three tapas, you can enjoy the traditional food in Granada. So if you have time, of course, my recommendation is to having tapas in the well, visit in different quarters in Granada, but also in Granada there are many wonderful restaurants to enjoy the food in Granada. And for shopping, of course, so there is a bazaar next to the cathedral, the name is Alcaiteria, which was the oldest still market in Granada. You can buy everything about their city, very traditional, very authentic, but my recommendation is the ceramic in Granada and also the taracea, the fascinating small boxes made of wood, they are Tarafea, the Muslim carpentry, something traditional in the city. Well, fantastic. I'm looking forward to that. We're going to have a nice lunch today of tapas. And then I understand you're going to continue with us to the Alhambra. So I'll talk to you again when we're yes, there. Okay, of course. So perfect. Well, we finally made it to the Alhambra, which is one of the places that I absolutely wanted to come and visit. And I'm super excited because Esther has joined me here as well. So tell us about the Alhambra. Who built it? Well, the Alhambra was built by the Nasari dynasty. It was a very important royal family that settled in Granada from the 13th century to the 15th century. And this family, this Nasari dynasty was founded by al Hamara, and he did the decision to establish his new government in Granada. So, I mean, it was Alhambra and Granada was chosen for the construction of the Alhambra because Granada became the capital of the kingdom of Granada, the I last see. Muslim kingdom. So how many ownerships were there? I really don't know how many. Well, but they were in this royal family, they were 24 rulers, and all of them inherited the throne, so one after the other, so generation to generation, so it was the succession of the throne in 
Indies dynasty, the Nasari dynasty. I see. And then about the Berbers, what period did they rule and at what point did they enter or have the Alhambra? Were they part of the original Muslims that came in? Yes, right. And they were coming from, you know, from the North Africa. And it was in the year 711 when the Muslim conquest began. But they came from the 11th century, so they were the Berber Arabs, and they took the decision to come here, and in the Alhambra, they built everything, everything that you have seen inside. In this, uh, almost uh, three hours of tear. How large is the Alhambra? Well, the Alhambra covers an area of some 13 hectares. It is enclosed by more than two kilometers of walls, and the Alhambra also has around 30 towers, and also they wear four external gates. But you can see everything inside the Alhambra. I mean, houses, palaces, streets, and also beautiful gardens. That's what I wanted to talk about. I mean, there's almost everything here between the flora fauna and so many fruit trees. Yes, there are many of them. So inside the Alhambra, you can find many uh, Seville orange trees that give you a sweet and intense smell that comes from the Athar flower. Also, you can see the famous pomegranate tree, the symbol of the city of Granada in everywhere. So peach, also the persimmon tree. So springtime is the best time to enjoy these flowers and the trees in bloom. But autumn season is absolutely beautiful. So my recommendation is to come to Granada every time, of course. But the highest season is always from April to October. But you're welcome, always. <laughs> well, it is certainly a beautiful time here. Thank you so much Thank for you the much, wonderful yeah. day today, both this morning and especially here at the Alhambra. Thank you very much. Two hours of walking, folks. Make sure you have your walking shoes and make sure you bring your good legs with you. Okay, yes, thank you very much. Nice to meet you. It was my pleasure. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you check out the website, TravelingCulturati.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media or join that travel club. We've got some wonderful trips coming up for you, and we hope that you will join us. You can also head over to Advantage-INTL.com. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born of the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the Culture Report. We're live in Spain, and we're talking about olives and sherry. Spain has one of the largest olive productions in the world, and we all love some nice sherry. So we're going to tell you about it today. Andalusia is one of the uh, big autonomous regions or communities in which Spain is divided. And certainly uh, being so wide, you have from fertile areas such as the area of Granada with orchards where they grow almost everything, pomegranates, oranges. There are trees and birds all over (laughs) as you can uh, listen. (laughs) We're being serenaded by the birds as we're... 
sitting and, outside and chatting. And cotton, tobacco, um, all kind of, you know, uh, grains. But one thing that really impressed the people while we are traveling all through that area, the huge extensions of olive trees, uh, because that southern part of our country is probably uh, the area where we have more uh, olive trees and plantations that active plantations of olive trees. After Greece, uh, we are producing in Europe uh, olive oil and is also the base of most of our meals. I mean, we cannot think about cooking without olive oil or having breakfast with a nice toast spread with olive oil. So it's part of our Mediterranean way of life. It's interesting to see how we're, or at least under my point of view, it's interesting to me how people see sometimes to those olive plantations because, I mean, the extensions are so huge and you see no one in the fields. So people were somehow, where are the people and then where is the harvest and this and that? Well, depending on the areas, depending on the weather, but usually the harvesting takes place by the uh, beginning of December. Hmm? It, of course, it's sometimes a little bit earlier if we go uh, up way north but uh, in that area of Andalusia is by the beginning of December they're starting to collect the uh, oils and to do that trees are not very high so they put a sort of a net under the tree and with a special stick they hit the branches so it's all manually uh, because they cannot use machinery to shake the trees because the tree will be damage hmm? so the, it has to be done by hand so they hit the uh, branches the olives fall they uh, collect they pull the ropes that uh, the nets have and then they bring it into the lorries and then they take all those olives to those places which are called almazaras and almazara is a place where they press the olive and produce and make the olive oil the olives is a whole world like the wine, huh? because there are different varieties. Depending on the variety, you can get different olive oil. But in general, huh? the moment to pick the olives is usually when they are turning to a green-yellow color. Huh? Almost purple, but huh? the first step, the best. Because is when you get the best acidity for the olive oil. That it shouldn't be more than 0.2, 0.5, maximum 0.8, and that could be a good olive oil. So how many years does it take to get to that point? Well, it depends on the areas again, but usually a tree from 20, uh, even less sometimes, depending on the areas, but 12 to 30 years will give a good. But those trees can last for a hundred years. I mean, there are trees of 200 years. Those can produce some olive oil, but not as good. One of the things that we always see in the grocery stores or when we're looking at buying olive oil is extra virgin olive oil, virgin olive oil. So what does all of that mean? Well, that only means that the extra or the virgin olive oil comes from the first press of the olive in cold. Hmm? So this is when you get the first juice uh, of the olive, 
That is what we consider the extra or virgin olive oil. And so when it's just olive oil, what does that mean if it's not virgin? Well, if it is not virgin, which is good anyway, it means that uh, it might come from a second or a third press. So they keep on smashing the olives, but in that case also the skin will mix up and then they have to separate it. Mm-hmm. Or they might also mix and bend different olives oils. Mm. So that is not virgin because it comes from the blend of different ones. Elena, thank you so much for giving us such a great narrative about the places that we've visited, Madrid, Toledo, and a little bit of Andalusia. Actually, before I let you go, Andalusia comprises of what cities? The uh, autonomous community of Andalusia, we call them autonomous communities or autonomous regions. 17 is the number in which Spain is divided, including the two islands, Canary Islands and the Balearic and those two cities in the uh, northern part of Africa, Ceuta and Melilla. So these autonomous regions are divided into what we call provinces. And this uh, Andalusia region is divided into eight provinces. And most of the cities are very famous and well-known all over the world because we have Sevilla, we have Cordoba, Granada, Jaén, uh, Cadiz, Huelva... Almeria in the southeast. So these are the many places that compose this region of Andalusia with landscape that goes from the green areas of Granada to a desert in the area of Andalusia where if you remember, Javon, we were talking about the spaghetti westerns. Well, it certainly is a lovely place. You have to come to Andalusia and discover some of these small towns, some of these big places, wonderful places and the differences between between them and just love these small towns. So again, Elena, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for coming and we're looking forward to welcoming you here in Spain. As you know, with the Traveling Culturati, one of the things that we love to do is gastronomy, food and wine. So we had to make a stop here in Spain in Jerez, which is the Spanish word for sherry, to do some sherry tasting. And I'm here at the Tio Pepe Winery, and I am speaking with... Maria Jose, nice to meet you, Giovanna. Marie Jose is our guide here, is telling us all about the facility, and we're doing some wine tasting as well. So give us a brief history of Tio Pepe. Okay, so González Vías, the enterprise was a familiar business. It was founded in 1845 by Don Manuel Maria. With only 23 years old, he decided to dedicate his life to aging and commercialization of sherry wine. And due to the growing success, he formed a partnership with Mr. Blake Vias. He was a British agent. Then, González Vias' family was set up. But in 1987, the Vias family left the company. So nowadays, only the González family runs the business. It's the fifth generation Spanish people who follows the same philosophy. And who is Tio Pepe? Tio Pepe was uh, Uncle Jose. Tio uh, means uncle, and Jose Pepe is the nickname of Jose. So he was Uncle Jose, our founder's uncle. He worked in a bank. He was born in a village 30 kilometers far from here. It is said that he helped to his nephew at the beginning of his business. His nephew wanted to give him a present, and the present was to build a small winery in 1844, a Tio Pepe winery. Also, he named his bet Sherry Wine after his uncle. 
Then the driest wine was called Tio Pepe in our winery. 100 years later, a gentleman called Luis Perez Solero got the idea to dress the bottle with a red hat and a red jacket, a Spanish jacket, and this icon went around the world, and it was the first registered brand in Spain before the middle of last century. You can say Luis Perez Solero was a pioneer, you know? Mm. And nowadays it's the best-selling Fino sherry wine in the world. What makes sherry different from wine? Everything. <laughs> because the system for aging is really different from the rest of the wine in the world and from the rest of the wine in Spain. We call it Solera and Criadera system. So we can say that uh, sherry wine is the result of mixing all the time wines because they are aging in different rows of barrel, American oak barrel, very resistant. They last about 80, 100 years. And as I told you, they age in different rows. The bottom row is called Solera, and the remaining are called Criaderas. And when we want to take out wine to be bottled, we can only take out from the Solera, where the oldest wine is stored. And we can only take out one-third of the total capacity. And this wine will be refilled with the first Criadera, where our youngest wine is stored, and we can only take out one-third of the total capacity. This uh, barrel, this uh, first Criadera, will be refilled with the second Criadera, and so on. So we can say that sherry wine is the result of mixing all the time youngest and oldest wine to have always the same quality, the same flavor. We can say it's dynamic system. We have some añadas. Añadas is the system that follows the rest of the winery in Spain and in the world. Añada, the word añada comes from año. It means year in English. And this is an static system because the wine is always in the same barrel. We have añadas because we have a collection. Don Manuel Maria González, the founder, wanted to collect añadas from the beginning of his business from a special harvest. But the system that we follow in the city is Solera and Criadera system. As I told you, it's a blend between oldest and youngest wine all the time to have always the same flavor and the same quality. Now, we're tasting two. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about the two. And then, of course, there's a wide range. Here in the city, we produce uh, mainly three kinds of cherry wine. Fino. In this case, Tio Pepe is our brand. That's for every winery in the city, we produce three kinds, as I told you. Fino is the driest sherry wine. On the other side, we have Pedro Ximenez, produced with this kind of grape, with the same name, Pedro Ximenez grape. This is the darkest and the sweetest sherry wine, Pedro Ximenez sherry wine. And in the middle, Oloroso is a dry wine, but amber color. The rest of the wine are produced mixing this wine or mixing the process of this wine. Well, thank you so much. You Wonderful much. experience. Now, I'm going to go do some tasting myself. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Welcome. Well, that's it for the show today. Wherever you go, go with all your heart. Confucius. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Ladies and gentlemen.